Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we speak with a key enforcer for the General Data Protection Regulation, the EU Data Protection Framework. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your Active Stack Brief podcast. Helen Dixon is Ireland's Commissioner for Data Protection. Hello, Helen. Hi, Luca. Nice to see you today. Nice to see you too. So this week you are publishing your annual report uh, of the Irish Data Protection Commissioner, uh, DPC in short. What do you consider uh, your main achievements for the last year? I think most certainly when you look at our annual report for 2022, uh, what stands out is the breadth and scale of the investigations that we concluded in 2022. We already knew from that survey and report that the international law firm DLA Piper had published in January of this year, that when you look across the entire EU, EEA and UK, two thirds of the fines and corrective measures issued under GDPR in 2022 came from the Irish DPC, And that, in fact, on top of that, 2022 was a record year in and of itself for GDPR enforcement. And, of course, behind every punitive sanction and corrective measure, more importantly, because, as we'll probably talk about, some of these conclusions are contested. But behind every conclusion is a very comprehensive, detailed investigation Uh, conducted by the DPC with uh, sound reasoning transparently published after we've concluded the process, uh, meaning that ultimately where matters are subject to the review of the courts in due course, uh, the courts are teed up uh, to pronounce on all of the relevant issues. So that I think is undoubtedly uh, the highlight. There are other highlights when you look at the very particular role that all EU data protection authorities have in handling individual complaints. As you know, Luca, that's an obligation on EU DPAs. Um, And again, last year, the DPC got close to uh, 10,000 cases that it took in. Over 3,000 cases were concluded via our formal complaint handling process. And what we saw in 2022 is that we're now resolving and concluding more complaints than we're receiving. So this is a very good trend for the Irish DPC. In the past, we have heard uh, criticism uh, addressed to the to the Irish DPC, uh, especially for what concerns uh, the enforcement of the EU uh, General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, against uh, big tech companies, uh, most of which have their uh, European headquarters in Ireland, so where you have the the lead on their cases. Um, How do you respond to criticism that uh, the Irish DPA uh, Data Protection Authority has not been doing enough uh, against big tech companies? Well, I suppose the first thing um, that I would say is that really the evidence points in the opposite direction. If you look at those statistics that I just quoted for you, and when you think about 
the very large data processors that sit in the very large countries in the EU, countries that are a lot larger than Ireland, notwithstanding the presence of the big US multinationals in particular in Ireland, then it's a criticism that doesn't really stand up to any scrutiny. Um, the other thing uh, that I would say about uh, a lack of enforcement under the GDPR is that the criticism appears to have morphed because initially the criticism we were subject to is that we didn't issue enough decisions. Now we're issuing a lot of decisions and the criticism is, oh, but they're not the right decisions or they're not the decisions X, Y or Z wanted or, or would have made. And of course, that's an unreasonable uh, standard to which uh, we would be held because all we can do as a quasi-judicial body is precisely what we are doing, which is to commence these large-scale investigations, investigate and identify and scope the matters carefully, apply the appropriate legal analysis, hear from the relevant parties, the regulated entities, the complainants, if applicable, the European Data Protection Board equally, if applicable, uh, and come to reasoned conclusions, which is what we've done. Yes, some of them will now be subject to review by the courts, but that's the appropriate place for the review. It's, it's, it's not for others commentating to say he's right, she's wrong. Uh, all of these matters will be looked at uh, in, in detail. And of course, you will have seen, you may even have written about it. I saw some of the specialist data protection publications last week were reporting with interest on a number of big cases from national DPAs around Europe that were struck down by the courts, including the fines, the Experian UK case, and then a big case in Italy uh, and, and a big case in Spain. So I, I think it's really futile talking about who's right and wrong at this point. The important thing is to produce detailed investigations with reasoning, and we do that very transparently because we publish them and allow this debate to take place once the conclusions have been reached. But ultimately, it is the courts that will review and uh, judge on those. Uh, if I understand what you're saying is, uh, let, let's pause all the commentary until we have uh, legal interpretations by the courts. Uh, who are those uh, 12 jurisdictions on these cases? Um, but there, there is perhaps a, a more uh, political dimension to this, which is the fact that uh, we have seen the Irish uh, DPC uh, decisions on landmark cross-border cases uh, being contested um, uh, through the dispute resolution mechanism um, with the European Data Protection Board issuing binding decisions to settle the disputes. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that has happened four times uh, now uh, with Meta, uh, the Meta case on, on the legal basis for Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp uh, to be the, the most recent and perhaps most prominent one. Um, so, since the, this has happened a few times in the past, uh, do, do you think, is there a trend of uh, European peers uh, sort of uh, overturning the DPC's decisions? And, and do you think that's because your interpretation of the law is somewhat uh, different? So is, is the DPC an outlier in this sense? 
First of all, I haven't suggested pausing commentary at all. Uh, I'm, I'm all for free speech and people can comment as they wish. Part of the reason why I said the DPC believes in transparency and once a process is concluded, we publish all of our decisions, contrary to how other DPAs, uh, because of national constraints they face, um, do. So commentary is fine. I was simply cautioning against... Uh, selecting which commentary you want to amplify and emphasize uh, and regarding it as in some way conclusive. Because bear in mind, there's a lot of commentary that supports the analysis the DPC has arrived at. And a lot of academics are now writing articles critiquing the EDPB and so on. So look, the commentary and the debate is good, but ultimately what I'm saying is, and I think you understand that, it is the courts uh, that will exercise uh, the decisive uh, power in terms of deciding where these things land. In terms of cases that have gone to Article 65, it's in fact six cases of the Irish DPC and one case from the Keneal. The reason more cases from the Irish DPC have gone to Article 65 is simply a product of the fact that we are the most active regulator on large-scale cases in the EU and the most large-scale cross-border cases are uh, investigated and brought forward as Article 60 decisions by the Irish DPC. The most Article 60 decisions full stop uh, in, in the EU are delivered uh, by the Irish DPC. So uh, it, it, it's a numbers game and it's a product of the numbers. In terms of your comment that the European Data Protection Board is repeatedly overturning the DPC decisions, that's to misunderstand what the role of the European Data Protection Board is, which is to resolve the disputes that arise on the draft decision brought forward by the lead authority uh, uh, in, in relation to objections that are lodged uh, by DPAs. It is not overturning decisions. It is not, in fact, reviewing the entire draft decision. That would be entirely outside uh, of its remit. And in fact, if you look with any level of, of detailed scrutiny at the six cases that have progressed to date, first of all, there's overwhelmingly a large amount of agreement on the majority of elements of DPC decisions. So the majority of parts of decisions are uncontested by all of the EU DPAs. Secondly, when you look at the objections that are lodged by other EU DPAs, in many of the cases, the European Data Protection Board ultimately finds that the objections are not relevant and reasoned and does not even decide on them. And secondly, where it does decide that they are relevant and reasoned, it doesn't always uh, follow the objections in its final decision. So it's a complete overstatement to express things in the manner in which you have done. That said, there have, of course, been uh, discrete areas of the decisions of the DPC where there has been a disagreement and the European Data Protection Board has come to a different conclusion to the DPC. The most notable area in which that has arisen is around this question of legal basis for the processing of personal data uh, in, in the platforms that rely on targeted advertising to fund the service. And of course, as, as you know, at this stage, the DPC found that in principle, the meta services could rely on contract. The European Data Protection Board 
said not. Um, so not an outlier in any sense, the most active regulator, a well-respected regulator in terms of the legal analysis on many matters. It brings forward a regulator that's relied on by peer colleagues in the EU in terms of adopting positions on various matters. Um, elements of, of disagreement, yes, certainly. I understand that um, you're, of course, uh, emphasizing the, the elements of agreement, whereas as journalists, uh, we often give more attention to the points of disagreement. But I would like to pick up on what you said about the uh, Meta's uh, legal basis case, um, because I, I think that it, uh, gives a, a good example of perhaps deeper um, differences uh, between the, the Irish authority and its uh, um, continental colleagues. Um, I understand this goes down to uh, the, the legal culture um, that you have in Ireland, but also um, in the UK, of course, where it is normal to engage with private companies to uh, for a regulator and to adapt uh, and sort of uh, build a dialogue uh, on how to adapt the, the, the law to the to the company's exact processes. So I just I was just uh, wondering how how can such different uh, legal doctrines, if I may, uh, coexist in a mechanism that is meant to uh, you know ensure uh, streamlining uh, cross border decisions? And uh, do you think this is because the GDPR is a relatively new legal framework? So will we see harmonization uh, with time or not? There. Uh, are many of the large platforms that talk to us about the ongoing meetings they have with uh, the Confederation of German Data Protection Authorities and the meetings they have with them and, and the agreements they obtain uh, from the Data Protection Authorities. In terms of the particular issues to which you refer around Meta, many of the, the uh, EU DPAs, including the UK, met with the company uh, on the same basis that the DPC did in advance of the GDPR. Remember, there was no one-stop shop prior to it coming into application in uh, May of 2018. So the DPC had no exclusive uh, channels in, in, in relation to the platforms. But um, look, it's probably, it's probably something you've said in passing, uh, but uh, I, I would challenge that idea that other EU DPAs are not regularly meeting with the platforms and engaging with them and engaging with controllers. You talked about uh, why there are these levels of, of differences. I've already set out for you that there's much more agreement than there are differences. But as you say, as a journalist, you're more happy that we focus on the differences. And I think the reason the differences arise in this complex structure of a one-stop shop that we have under the GDPR is partly to do with the fact that actually very few of the decisions made by European DPAs go through Article 60. And the majority that do come from Ireland and the Irish DPC. And so by the time decisions on any particular matter go through Article 60 and perhaps Article 65, EU DPAs have adopted national decisions in other cases where they've run with a particular interpretation as best they can of how articles of the GDPR apply to certain scenarios. 
and they may then be defending those decisions before their national courts, and they cannot deviate in terms of the interpretation that they've already taken. So I think the problem is there is no mechanism to harmonize 95% of, of what is decided by national DPAs in the EU. And then you try to squeeze this concept of harmonization through this co-decision-making process in a limited number of cases. And so you get exactly the kind of result uh, that we are seeing. In, in reality, there are a lot of objections lodged every single day to the smaller scale cases that the other EU DPAs are, are putting through. And they may ultimately not result in the triggering of Article 65. Some of them yet will. Uh, I suppose we, we sometimes see objecting DPAs remove the objections in these smaller cases, uh, clearly not wishing an Article 65 to be triggered unless it's absolutely necessary. But in the large scale cases, it's generally going to be required to resolve the issues, particularly where objecting DPAs are not agreeing with one another in terms of, of what they're objecting to. Still about the uh, recent uh, meta cases, um, you have uh, contested part of the ETPB binding decisions uh, that would require the DPC to conduct an investigation on how the company is uh, combining uh, data across platforms. Um, you have uh, legally challenged this part of the decision that uh, will now uh, go before the EU Court of Justice. How uh, did we get to this point where uh, a national authority is contesting an EDPB decision and, and sort of uh, trying to set the boundaries of, of what the board can and cannot do? You mentioned there how the element of the EDPB's decision about how data is being combined, that there is no element of the EDPB decisions about the combining of data that we are contesting. The element of the EDPB's decision that we're contesting is um, the direction to conduct further investigations. And so the way in which we've arrived at this point where the DPC is utilizing a legal mechanism that has been provided to it under the GDPR is really as a product of everything that we've talked about today. Um, you have this complex novel co-decision-making structure you have a means by which uh, limited disputes around objections can be resolved. Uh, and then you have roles of CSAs, lead authorities, and the EDPB all mixed into the process. And for it to work optimally, there has to be clarity on what the roles are and where they start and finish. So very specifically, the DPC hasn't challenged uh, any substantive element of the EDPB's decision around the finding, for example, that contract can't be used, specifically what we have challenged is uh, the what we consider to be an overreach in directing the DPC to conduct a certain form of investigation and how it should conduct that investigation. And obtaining clarity on these kinds of issues is important. We're likely to have the GDPR for a long time. Uh, we're likely to have cases that will go through the dispute resolution uh, on an ongoing basis. And uh, so it is important to, to clarify. 
Yes, indeed. I only mentioned the, the part on the decision, but indeed it, it, it is more about if it can or not mandate future investigations. So um, uh, final question to wrap up, um, uh, because we have seen some regulators, uh, perhaps the most active uh, in Europe as well, um, together with the uh, DPC, like the CNIL in France, that are, uh, I would say, trying to avoid the GDPR's one-stop shop uh, mechanism by issuing fines to um, the e-privacy directive. Uh, what do you make of this trend? And do you think that uh, there is a risk to jeopardize the, the country of origin principle on which the one-stop shop is based? So first of all, I would be very concerned if if what you said is the position that there's a deliberate act on the part of the CNIL to bypass the GDPR to specifically target certain companies. Because the way I would view the role of data protection authorities is that it's to assess risk and pursue the cases where there is the most significant risk to data subjects rather than targeting particular companies. I was mentioning a specific case, huh? uh, the one on, on, on Google, not specific companies, but yes. I mean, I have no evidence to suggest that the CNIL is targeting uh, particular uh, companies in order to bypass uh, the GDPR. Um, so it's it's probably something I can't really comment on. But, but in terms of the country of origin, I mean, you probably know, Luca, a lot about the origins of the one-stop shop under the GDPR from when it was proposed in 2012 until the GDPR was adopted in 2016. And of course, some of the large member states objected to the EU Commission having a centralized role in the regulation of the large platforms under the one-stop shop. And ultimately, it was decided to devolve back partly for reasons of proximity to independent national DPAs. Uh, and uh, even with that, um, the one-stop shop form went through many changes right up to the point of prior adoption. So I, I don't think there is any threat. I mean, the, the, the principle is enshrined in EU law. Uh, generally, I don't think there is any uh, threat to it here, but I do think we need to find a better way of working. And over time, um, as, as we get decisions from the court on some of those big cases that are being contested, as we see the outcome of the annulment actions in jurisdictional terms that the DPC has taken, I think ultimately we'll all learn and get to a better place in, in terms of clarity on these issues. Sorry, maybe just to, to follow up on that, because indeed that is um, the origin of, of the one-stop shop. At the same time, we are seeing that uh, in new uh, regulations, there is a tendency to, to um, avoid similar mechanisms. I'm talking about the, the uh, Digital Services Act, for example, um, where cross-border cases have been given to the Commission. So... Uh, do you see a bottleneck problem? I know you mentioned uh, numbers are, are improving and now you are dealing with more cases than you are receiving. Uh, but in the past, there were discussions about uh, limited resources for the DPC 
so is that issue solved? Uh, is there no longer a bottleneck in your view or if there ever was? I don't think there ever was. I think there was simply a time frame required to conduct the detailed investigations, evidence of which we have now published, detailing the amount of work that goes into these investigations and the iterative process that's involved in hearing from the entities that are involved. In terms of staffing, we now have about 200 staff here at the DPC and also uh, external resources upon which we can call. But I think the 22 large-scale inquiries that we conducted uh, and concluded rather in, in 2022 really speak for themselves. And clearly, as we've discussed, that kind of statistic is without compare when you look at the proportion uh, of EU activity for which uh, the the DPC is responsible. In terms of other uh, pieces of EU legislation uh, that don't follow the um, same uh, form of one-stop shop uh, as the GDPR, that is, of course, because they are different instruments targeted with different aims. You mentioned the DSA. In fact, the Commission has exclusive competence in relation to a number of provisions around auditing and compliance officers in relation to the platforms, but where it doesn't act in relation to the other substantive matters in the DSA, then a form of one-stop shop uh, actually does exist based on the country of origin rules. Um, equally, of course, it's the case with content regulation that what is illegal in one member state is not illegal in another. And so actually the takedown requests uh, are largely going to be distributed. So I think it's important when, when we're making statements like that, that we look a little bit below the surface uh, as to why that might be. Thank you, Alan. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up for our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. <music>